It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Yeah! What it do, baby? Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 764 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, August the 14th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean, and you can find the show, of course, at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, make sure you're following the brand new at Locked On NBA Pods, a new Twitter account where we house all of our Locked On podcast uh, shows there with great graphics and clips from all the podcasts that have the big news of the day covered highly recommend you go check out at locked on nba pods on twitter today's show is brought to you by our friends at built bar go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on and you're going to get ten dollars off your next order more on built bar a little bit later on in the show all right on today's show it is crossover friday here on the locked on podcast network as uh, everyone who is uh, got a team that they're covering going into the postseason is doing a crossover episode with their first round counterparts and we are in that same boat as well as i am joined on today's show by josh bass and marcus barahal of locked on nets to tee up raptors nets in the first round which gets going on monday at 4 p.m eastern time very much looking forward to checking that one out it should be a you know there's sports hate there when it comes to the nets there's not necessarily a lot of fear if you're a raptors fan and we get into that on today's show with josh and marcus we dive into the matchups we dive into what has made the nets so successful so far going five and three in the bubble uh, when they really looked like they could go one and seven with that ragtag crew of players they put together talk about Jacques vaughn and the job he's done and we also dive into why it probably doesn't matter at all how good the nets have been because the raptors are going to beat them for many many reasons as we get into we also dish out our predictions for the series as well and uh look i don't think any of us think this is going terribly long and that is uh i think probably the right approach to this but still doesn't mean we can't have fun and doesn't mean josh and marcus are not worth listening to over on locked on nets you should definitely go and check them out and you will get to hear from them very shortly here on the podcast but first we should probably hit on the news that broke yesterday morning around 11.30 Eastern time, or I, I don't know, I'm on Atlantic time, I have no idea what time it is anywhere anymore, because uh, the time change has not yet worked in my brain. Either way, um, it was after the podcast between Katie and Vivek talking about the Sixers game had been recorded, so they did not get to cover it on that show, and so we got to talk about it today, and you know, in the last 24 hours, this has gotten muddier and muddier and a little bit more uncertain as to what the hell is going on, and there's disappointment on, on my side, at least when it comes to the Raptors' response. But Adrian Griffin yesterday, of course, was accused by his ex-wife, Audrey Griffin, of domestic abuse and some pretty heinous stuff in her social post that she screencapped and then shared with uh, a bunch of Raptors media. 
and like this is there's no way to sugarcoat this this is really bad and uh, a really not so good look for the Raptors especially after Adrian Griffin was receiving the plaudits of the entire basketball world basically for getting that win on Wednesday night for his first career win as a head coach and obviously for this to come out the next day the first response from a lot of people is well what's the t- why is the timing now and look the, a it's none of your business as to what compels a person who has gone through abuse to finally come forward with something also we should note that audrey griffin has been tweeting various uh sort of either veiled or very direct things about adrian griffin and uh, the abuse that she's allegedly uh, endured at the hands of adrian griffin as they have a, a pretty long-standing legal dispute about their 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 children and custody and alimony and things like that going on right now audrey griffin has not been shy in tweeting about this in recent months and she in fact tagged the raptors a whole bunch of times asking uh, you know about you know their stance on adrian griffin considering the things that she's putting forward here and there's a lot of things going on with this first of all we know that first of all that audrey griffin has put this forward we also know that the raptors there's no way they did not know something or have some inkling that this was a potential thing to come out before it dropped yesterday morning the if you're properly monitoring your social media and you're seeing something like this this is something that you look into and uh, address with adrian griffin well before yesterday and so either they're not really paying attention to things like this to come in or they did and still had adrian griffin on the sidelines and you know had him be the head coach for a night on wednesday night which is obviously not an awesome look and you know, look, it's it's not fair to say that the Raptors, and I, I made this sort of mistake yesterday in claiming the Raptors clearly knew about this or should have known this before they hired Adrian Griffin. This happened in 2018, and, you know, I, I believe the tweets from Audrey Griffin don't go back quite that far. Uh, and so, you know, they could have hired Adrian Griffin thinking everything was totally fine, and then, you know, this stuff comes out. But I'm really I'm having a hard time believing the Raptors didn't know anything before yesterday. And maybe I'll be proven wrong there. I just, it doesn't seem like that's possible considering Audrey Griffin was tweeting at the very Raptors account uh, for a long time about this type of thing. Um, you know, we also know that Adrian Griffin's children have been very supportive of him online since this all happened, and they're trying to discredit uh, Audrey Griffin as well. That means absolutely nothing here. That does not, it's not proof one way or another of anything. It's just a thing that is going on that is worth noting in this whole thing. And we know that the Raptors and Adrian Griffin both made a statement as well. Adrian Griffin's statement reads as such, quote, This morning, accusations were made against me on social media by my former wife that I vehemently d- deny we are involved in a long-standing legal dispute over alimony and child support arrangements. I'm disappointed to have to address false accusations in this way, and I apologize for any distraction this has potentially caused for our team at this important time. The Raptors also released a statement that said, quote, when we saw these allegations this morning, we were dismayed. Adrian is a valuable member of our team. Our leadership immediately spoke with him, and he flatly denied the allegations in the post. We will support the process as he and his former partner settle these matters. I'm disappointed with the Raptors' statement. I understand why Adrian Griffins can't be more specific because there's a lot of legalities clearly tied up in the case ongoing between him and Andre Griffin. The Raptors could have come forward with something a little bit more meaty than this, though. They could have... Instead of dropping in a Adrian is a valuable valuable member of our team, which is like an obvious thing you don't need to even throw in there. He coached the freaking team on Wednesday. Clearly, he's quite valuable and viewed quite highly by the by the franchise. You don't need to add that little bit of boosting of Adrian Griffin in there considering the circumstances. They could have dropped in, for example, something like, we were dismayed because we have a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to domestic violence within our franchise, and we take this matter very seriously. That did not get said by the Raptors. My big problem here is, 
they, they just it, they kind of seem like they're kind of sweeping it under the rug just a little bit and saying, hey, the legal system will figure that out when that is not how you approach this type of thing. And this is not how the Raptors have approached this thing in the past. Last year, Kay Felder, who was on the G League team, was accused of domestic violence. He was cut pretty much right away. And obviously, you know, this happens all the time where the more expendable you are skill or value wise, the easier it is to make that cut bait decision. And obviously Adrian Griffin, as they pointed out very explicitly in their statement is a valuable member of the team that I would imagine they're probably going to wait for due process and all this stuff. My thing is having Griffin still on the sidelines as this gets resolved, sort of in a way puts the Raptors on a certain side of this. And in a way, it discredits what Audrey Griffin is putting forward. Look, you know, the, we'd have no idea for sure. We Obviously, there needs to be an investigation and, and obviously the legal battle is still going on. But believe women, man. Like, there is absolutely no reason for somebody to come forward with such heinous and, and vile accusations because there's not an upside to it. I mean, you saw Drew Griffin yesterday, people immediately questioning her because of the timing of it all, quote unquote. You saw, you, like you see that in all of these cases, you know, pretty much across the board when someone comes forward against someone with power or status, it often ends up, you know, kind of being a negative experience or almost always a negative experience for the woman coming forward because the structure is in place so that the, you know, the, the man in power can kind of just say no it was i didn't do it it's false and we, we, we move on sorry if it's a distraction and it kind of becomes on the woman to prove that oh this in fact happened when you know it's you know the innocent until proven guilty all that stuff but when a woman is coming forward with something believe what they're saying and give them all of the the time of day and until proven otherwise in this sort of circumstance i'm going to side with i'm not going to at least throw my support behind adrian griffin in this and say oh he's definitely on the right side of this and obviously this is false at the very least you stay neutral on it and just wait for things to, to play out but i think the neutral thing for the raptors in this case is all right griffin you're on leave for now until this all gets sorted out and we can actually determine whether or not you're someone who we want to have still part of our organization and not our sidelines and so that's my disappointment with it you know maybe griffin is totally absolved of this down in, in due process but until then having him still on the bench to me is at least a sign that you are in a way sort of discrediting what you're hearing from audrey griffin so Obviously, this is a very muddy situation right now. They're, the fact that the Raptors didn't say that they're doing some sort of investigation, I, I have no idea if they've already done one. Maybe they did know about this ahead of time and have already looked into it. Who knows? But it's worth obviously keeping an eye on. This is far more important than a, a basketball series or anything like that. But uh, just it was worth talking about off the top because the way the Raptors responded, I think, was considering what they profess to be in terms of their values as a franchise. I was a little bit surprised at how sort of muted their response was to this legalities and all that stuff, you know, obviously understood. But there, there's just something a little bit that's not quite adding up about all the responses here. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this story. It's obviously very important, and um, we'll see if, if, uh, if anything comes of it as it pertains to Adrian Griffin, uh, who, of course, today was uh, already thrown into rumors about being the next Chicago Bulls coach. So either way, believe women and wait until, I guess, we, uh, we see what comes out of this before jumping to grand sweeping conclusions, I suppose. But it sucks either way. It's a really, really shitty story, and Adrian Griffin is very much still on the sidelines getting that uh, you know, that, that love as the lead assistant and the, the head coaching candidate who um, has this hanging over him. So, you know, again, I think the, the, the solution is just put him on leave until this is all resolved and maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't, but uh, that clearly is not what the Raptors are doing right now. 
what we are doing right now is we are going to pivot into our preview of the Raptors and Nets series with our pals Marcus and Josh from the Locked On Nets podcast. Uh, but first, I want to tell people about Built Bar. Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar you are ever going to try. They are great, and they are back with six brand new flavors to join their complement. They have 18 amazing flavors, including the six new ones that are caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, yum, carrot cake, and apple almond and crisp along with the 12 original flavors including some of my favorites like peanut butter banana bread mint brownie and my all-time fave toffee almond bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew not all gritty and sandy they're kind of like a mars bar except they're healthy they are great for the health conscious person you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low calorie low sugar high protein and high fiber and great for keto diets as well Say you want the peanut butter, you're going to get 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. Maybe you want to try one of the new ones and you want a cookies and cream. That's just uh, 130 calories along with 17 grams of protein, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. Across the board, Built Bars are 7 times or have 7 times less sugar than a Cliff Bar. That should really stick with you in your brain because it has stuck with me ever since trying my very first one. They rule. Built Bar also has a free cooler available with purchase right now while supplies last. So this is only going to last for a week or so, so you want to hop on right away. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You're going to get $10 off of your next order. Again, that's the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And you're going to get a free cooler with your purchase if you get it in the next week or so, because they're going to go away fast. It's while supplies last. BuiltBar.com, code LOCKEDON for 10 bucks off. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, let's get to it. Myself, Josh Bass, Marcus Bearhell from Locked On Nets, talking about Raptors Nets for the next uh, 25 minutes or so. Enjoy. Hey, it's Sean Woodley here from Locked On Raptors, and on the line with me are the two hosts of Locked On Nets, Marcus Barahal and Josh Bass. Marcus, Josh, we got a series to talk about. How's it going, guys? Going well. Um, yeah, we do have a series to talk about. Not sure how long uh, the series is going to go, but there will be at least four games, so we'll have, we'll have some stuff to talk about for sure. Yeah, Sean, I'm, I'm a lot happier to be talking to you than I would be talking to uh, to Lockdown Bucks. <laughs> uh, we know one needs to talk to Kane. What are we talking about? We'll leave Kane to... Uh, we'll talk to him in the conference finals, maybe. Um, <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe the Nets will pull off the impossible in round one and beat the Raptors. And that's where we should start here. Like, I think the Raptors are kind of the 
sort of known commodity among these two teams. They won a ton of games this year. They were 6-1 and one or are 6-1 and one at the time of recording in the bubble before their last game on Friday against the Denver Nuggets, which means nothing. Um, and they've just kind of been coasting through here ever since they locked up the two seed in the Eastern Conference. But the Nets have been new and bizarre and scrappy and all of those fun words after losing basically their entire roster before coming to Florida. It's basically Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and Joe Harris and then a bunch of ragtag dudes filling out the rest of the lineup. And they have been all right. They've been five and three. They are just above uh, an even net rating right now at a plus 0.3 over the course of these games. I think much better than anybody expected. They obviously warded off the uh, not at all terrifying Washington Wizards, the 11th place Washington Wizards, which is like my favorite stat of all time now. Uh, And they are now in the seventh slot, taking on the Raptors in round one. Josh, let's start with you. What has been the sort of key for the Nets to kind of figure this out and kind of I don't know it's weird like I think everyone kind of expected them to be bad they have been very much respectable why have they had some success here in the restart yeah I mean Sean it's been uh it's been really shocking for I think both Marcus and I I mean I was basically saying hey the Nets could very easily go one and seven in the bubble if not oh and eight uh just because of the complete dearth of talent which happens when you you know, basically lose six of your seven top seven guys to injury, COVID, what, what have you. Um, but I think it starts with the three guys you mentioned that kind of are known NBA commodities and Karis LeVert, Jarrett Allen, and Joe Harris playing at a really high level. Because Harris has obviously been very consistent in the last couple of years for the Nets, but he's taken it to a whole other level uh, in the bubble with just being kind of a 17, 18 per game, point per game scorer. Uh, very good efficiency. And then you have Levert and Allen, two younger players still with a lot to prove, who have shown a ton of potential in their years in the NBA, but a bit more inconsistent. And they've been awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, Allen has been really good in, in carrying the Nets. Um, you know, I come some of the earlier games, Levert's had some nice moments closing and then went off against the Blazers last night, even though he couldn't hit that last shot. And I think it starts with those three guys taking their game to another level. And then it makes everything easier for kind of these fringe NBA guys to fill in because they're not asked to be, you know, anything more than role players because there are are guys there that can carry the load in some of these lower pressure games. Marcus, do you have anything else to kind of throw in there? Yeah. Yeah. Just to to add on to that. I think it's kind of been each of those three guys, like slightly outperforming expectations. And then like all that put together uh, has led to like an an improvement in in what you've seen on the court. Like uh, Levert, his, his efficiency hasn't been great in the bubble, but he's, taking on a ton of responsibility passing-wise. He's averaging six and a half assists in the bubble. Joe Harris, obviously, always going to be really consistent. He's shooting 62% from the field, though, like not just uh, hitting open threes, but also getting to the basket, uh, finishing inside, and kind of using his outside shot to leverage driving lanes and get inside. And then Jared Allen has really picked up uh, his interior passing and his aggressiveness. Uh, He's first in screen assists in the whole league in the bubble. Uh, Just really playing with much more force and aggression inside. Like Josh said, it starts with those three guys, but then off the bench, they've kind of gotten some some contributions from a little bit more uh, obscure guys. Timotei Luau Cabarro has played really well. Rodion's Kuruks has been a little bit more consistent uh, than he had been this season after having a pretty successful rookie year. So they've got a little bit of like, no one is kind of like just like taken over completely. It's kind of been everyone stepping up a little bit in their roles. And for that reason, Jacques Vaughn deserves a ton of credit. The head coach, uh, seven and three since he took over 
for Kenny Atkinson before the shutdown. And he, I think, has been kind of just like the, the guiding light, kind of steering the ship uh, towards respectability, like you said. Yeah, that's my, my next question. First of all, to note that there is still time for Jamal Crawford to take over and become that sort of uh, <laughs> overwhelming force in this team. I'm hoping for it. Uh, and I fully expect a game one between the Raptors and Nets potentially to swing on Jamal Crawford dropping like 45 and winning the game because <laughs> game ones are hell for the Raptors, obviously. Um, in terms of Jock Vaughn, I want to ask about him because like he was kind of a joke coach for the Orlando Magic. Everyone was like, oh yeah, he's probably the worst coach in the league. And then they bring him in after this sort of weirdly timed firing of Kenny Atkinson right before the shutdown takes place. And he only gets a couple of games. You mentioned he's seven and three. So that leaves, what, two games before everything mm-hmm. got shut down for him to get accustomed to the team. And then it's an entirely new team for him to work with. Uh, like, I mean, maybe this is a question for beyond the playoffs, but Josh, let's go to you. I mean, is there a chance that Jacques Vaughn has kind of worked himself into contention to just have this job going forward? Or is he still kind of a lame duck as you assume KD and Kyrie are probably going to have quite a bit of say in who the coach ends up being? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so tough. I think, I hope at least KD and Kyrie are, you know, at home watching the bubble and, you know, really just jazzed up. Um, about the success of the Nets and how hard they've been playing under Jacques Vaughn. But, you know, they are our superstar players, mercurial ones at that, and will kind of exert their will however they see fit. And they may want kind of a, a bigger name coach, whether it's, you know, Mark Jackson, who I think would be a terrible idea, Kid, who I think would be a terrible idea, Kai Lu, who I think would be uh, probably one of the better options, which is uh, saying a lot about the Nets' choices. So the one thing about Jacques Vaughn, though, is I think he's done an amazing job with this Nets team and whether he gets the Nets job next year or not, I think he's put himself in a position to get a job because as you mentioned, Sean, his tenure with Orlando was so bad. It was pretty likely that he might never get, you know, a full-time gig in the NBA. And -hmm. I think the one thing you can say is that there's going to be a lot of teams here who have seen what he's done with a, with a rebuilding group and might say, you know, he could be a good coach to lead kind of, um, some of these younger players that another team might have and develop them and empower them. So I think he's setting himself well up for a potential job in the next year or two. It might just not be this next one given team dynamics. Totally. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, Marcus, let me just sort of throw one more to you. So in terms of the Raptors matchup, obviously they are uh, outgunned in terms of overall talent, in terms of resume this season, is there sort of someone on the Nets, if you're looking at this series and the, the Nets make it a series, whether they lose in six or a very close five, or hey, maybe they pull out the miracle and win it, um, who is the most responsible for that on the team? Is it as simple as Karis LeVert just because he has the ball in his hands all the time? Is there somebody else who's kind of the most impactful, maybe under the radar type of guy who keeps his team afloat? Maybe it's in minutes where the bench is in and like there's a real risk of falling off, but someone's been pretty good in those minutes. What's the sort of um, the key player? If the Nets are to make some sort of hay in this series, is there someone in particular who you look back and say, oh, that dude went off and that's why? Yeah, I think in terms of like an under-the-radar guy, I think it probably is Karuks. Um, mm-hmm. The team coming into the bubble, they started Lance Thomas at power forward in the first game, which did not uh, pan out particularly well. Uh, Rody is a guy who, in his rookie year, he was uh, not expected to really do anything and then kind of came out of nowhere, uh, really active on both ends of the floor, good size. They've been playing him a little bit at the backup five, but he's more so uh, a power forward. And so defensively 
if he can kind of like limit Siakam and, and cut down uh, what he can do offensively, um, that paired with uh, the fact that he's basically also the backup center just because after Jared Allen, it's either him or it's like Dante Hall or playing Lance Thomas at the five. So they don't have a ton. They don't have a ton of options in the front court. So really like him staying out of foul trouble, him being able to defend uh, Siakam without fouling. And then also on the other end, spacing the floor, kind of helping to push the pace in transition. I know the Raptors defense has been incredible all season, especially in the bubble, but I think fast break points are kind of the one area uh, in the bubble, at least where they've struggled somewhat. So him pushing the pace uh, and just kind of like leaking out off steals, like that's kind of maybe a slight swing factor. Obviously, like you said, the Nets are extremely out talented and it's going to take those top three guys that we mentioned uh, kind of playing out of their minds for a few games for the Nets to have much of a chance in the series. But like beyond them, I think Kuroks is probably uh, the fourth most important guy. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're going to flip the tables around and Josh and Marcus are going to grill me about the Raptors in just a second. But before we get to that, a reminder that you can start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today hosts Nyla Badu and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world on Axios Today. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, guys. Grill me. Throw me some Raptors stuff. Let's go. Uh, start with whoever you want. Josh, I don't care. Fire my way. I'm ready. Yeah, I think, Sean, you know, I don't want to needle you, but I think I kind of have to do it. You know, we okay. beat you in 07, we beat you in 2014. <laughs> you guys have the talent advantage now. You're the huge favorite, but, you know, I, I think it's nice that the Nets and Raptors are playing each other again because they had some a, a nice, like, mini rivalry kind of in that 13, 14, 15 era, and then the Nets just unfortunately fell off while the Raptors elevated and became champions. But, you know... Uh, is that kind of black and white going to be coming back and haunting you guys? How do you feel about, about playing us? Well, so here's the thing. I wanted to play Brooklyn because I'm sick of watching the magic. Uh, like The Raptors <laughs> played them last year. They played them in the bubble. They played them like four times to start out this season as well. So it was just like a lot of magic in a very contense time frame. So I was rooting for the Nets basically for those reasons, like the, the weird history between the two teams. Obviously, things are far different now. The Raptors uh, do not have Grievous Vasquez as a, a significant part of their offense or anything like that. They're a much more mature, a championship season team and all that stuff. But uh, I, I did kind of like the whole, you know, bring Brooklyn back. 
I mean, I still, you know, I like you guys. You guys are great, but boy, do I hate the Nets. Uh, <laughs> have I hated the Nets for basically my entire lifetime after they got Vince Carter for uh, absolutely nothing. And like, there's just kind of that seed of hatred uh, kind of boiling ever since 2005 when I was like 12 years old and heartbroken watching Eric and Aaron, Aaron Williams come in and be uh, the worst players I've ever seen. And so... Yeah, it's, you know, dating back to that 2014 series as well. I, I, I mean, I'm not as worried because Joe Johnson and Marcus Thornton are not on this team. And if they were, maybe that would be an issue. But yeah, I, I think I'm not worried about the series, but like far more intrigued by the Nets matchup than I ever was with the Magic for a second time in a row. And that is sort of the, 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 go, the going take here. I, I do think we saw, I think last night, especially as we record this on Friday morning, um, we saw last night the Blazers and Nets game, which I think everybody in the world was watching, apparently. And it was super duper fun. And a lot of Raptors fans were getting Raptors fanny, like pre-championship Raptors fanny, where there's like panic and you're talking yourself into losing to a very, very inferior opponent. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, come on, we're past that. Like Raptors fans don't need to worry about this series. Uh, you know, I, I, I will get to it later, but my prediction does not have this series going to, to, you know, particularly long. And as good as Karis Levert is, if he's the best player on the other team that you're looking across against, like the Raptors have no reason to fear that. Raptors fans have no reason to fear that, but Raptors fans will fear it because game one's of the boogeyman and the first round has been uh, a bit of fraught territory in years prior to last year. So I, I think... It's a fun matchup. It's something that people wanted, but you know, I'm sure there will be some Raptors fans who drive themselves crazy thinking about, oh no, what if Joe Harris goes off for 35 and lose game one, and then what happens? Yeah, I think um, the Raptors don't really have a ton to be concerned about in this first-round matchup. Like We talked about their defense has been incredible. Um, Van Vliet and Lowry are both top five in deflections in the bubble, just kind of showing like how active they are. But mm -hmm. the one area where they've struggled at least in this restart is like on the offensive end and in like half court offense mm -hmm. uh siakam hasn't shot it well lowry hasn't shot it well from the field um is that something that concerns you in this series or is that more of like a long-term thing or is it something that you're like it's just a small sample size like they'll figure it out yeah, it doesn't concern me in this series just because I don't think the Nets are going to be able to score at any sort of rate on the Raptors' half-court defense to sort of make up for any shortcomings they may have on their own offensive end. I do think, like, down the line, that is going to be, if there's something that undoes this Raptors team, it'll be their sort of sometimes sticky half-court offense. The Celtics, I think, did a very good job, obviously, in the, in the game where they beat them by like 4,000 points uh, of shutting down the Raptors' half-court <laughs> attack. And the Bucks' half-court defense is ironclad. And so if you can't get on, get on the run, which is what the Raptors do best, like, I mean, they run with the, the top teams in the league and they're deadly efficient when they get out on the break. If you can't sort of get a game in that sort of back-and-forth rhythm then yeah there's the chance that you kind of bog down a little bit they are always going to be saved by the fact that their defense is also incredible right and so i don't think they're ever gonna you know go on a run where they don't score on 10 straight possessions but and but lose touch in a game just because their defense will probably stop the other team from scoring on seven of the 10 possessions the other way it's just a matter of you know can they can, can they just grease enough out of that offense and there's some signs of hope i think that you know, this has been a really good crunch time team. They've been amazing late in games. I believe they had the number two crunch time offense in the season before the pause. And that was all due to like the Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam pick and roll, which they really only bust out when it matters most. And that's basically an instant bucket for 
either one of those two guys. You know, either you get Lowry going downhill to the rim, and you know teams are scared about Siakam popping. Either you get Siakam sort of rolling to the free throw line and knocking down a mid range jumper on the pop. You get him knocking down a pick and pop three, like, or you get Siakam going downhill and he just like walks to the basket in two steps and scores. That's kind of been their go-to pet play late in games, and it's worked incredibly well. And so if they can kind of work that in a little bit more, you have Marc Gasol, who seems healthy and looks to be more of an active participant in the offense, and there's not like a bad shooter anywhere on the floor, I think they can be good enough. And, you know, again, it's going to be a coin flip series against Boston probably. They still are the underdogs against Milwaukee. But I think there's enough signs of optimism when it matters most that they can kind of just scrape by. Well, yeah, it's certainly of all the concerns with the team, that is one of them. I should also note, like Pascal Siakam, I still think is kind of rounding into form. He was cooped up in his condo for the entirety of quarantine, basically, uh, in Toronto. He didn't have a court. He you know, didn't really shoot a ball for like four straight months. And so I still think there's some rust being worked out there. And mm-hmm. his defense is so good that it's not like a DeMar DeRozan situation. If you recall, you know, when DeMar would, would struggle offensively, he was giving you nothing on the defensive end, and you basically had to bench him. Whereas with Pascal, yeah, maybe he shoots like four of 12 in a game, but he's also probably made like six incredible closeouts to the corner and, and grabbed a couple steals and had a couple impressive blocks and is rebounding for you and sometimes running your offense for you. So he's still not a complete zero, even if his offense is a little bit, you know, shaky on, on a given night. So, yeah, th- th- there are some concerns for sure. This is not a perfect team by any means, and, and they could very well lose in the second round of Boston. And I don't think Raptors fans, you know, they wouldn't be thrilled by it. But also it's like, how can you really be mad after what's happened over the last year and a half, two years? There's like, they're kind of playing with house money at this point either way. Yeah, for sure. And like, like you said, there's just so few holes. Like the only real weakness on defense is is the the fast break like I said they've kind of turned it over a little bit been a little sloppy is that just um just kind of like these games not really mattering or is there like a real issue there uh I don't think the turnovers are much of a problem I mean they were a little bit higher in turnovers this year and I think last year as well as they kind of brought in a more motion heavy offense they were always like bottom of the league in turnovers you know they were giving it away like nine times a game at times during the DeMar era just because they ran so much ISO and that's a low turnover style of play they, you know, they run a little bit more motion stuff. They get a little bit more risky with things now. Lots of outlet passes and things like that as they try to get their fast break going. And sometimes that goes awry. But Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry are really good at taking care of the ball. Pascal, you know, has been a little bit turnover prone so far in the bubble, but was really kind of rounding into form near the stop in March where he, you know, was kind of the, the assist to, to turnover numbers were really kind of going in the proper direction by the time things slowed down. And they are, you know, again, when things get really tight, they do play a pretty sort of like standard, all right, we're just going to run a high pick and roll style of play. And that kind of keeps the ball a little bit more protected too than say, you know, running a bunch of pin downs and things like that and trying to find an open look with a lot of off ball action that can sometimes lead to plays getting broken up. So not, not terribly concerned. You know, again, if things continue the way they were in the bubble, then maybe that becomes a problem. I also think you have to point to the lack of urgency they probably had during yeah. the bubble. I mean, they were not going to lose the two seed regardless. And, you know, they've spent the last couple of games just kind of screwing around with fun bench lineups. <laughs> and, like, you had DeJuan still Hernandez. Six and one. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, you had, like, Dewan Hernandez and Paul Watson leading a comeback. You probably don't even know who those two dudes are leading a comeback <laughs> against the Sixers bench on Wednesday while the starters were all just, like, straddling the video board and celebrating it was it was uh it's been fun for sure but it's been notedly low stakes for the Raptors so far and I feel like considering their sort of seasoning in last year's championship run they're probably just kind of ready for playoff basketball to kick in and I would imagine they'll sort of 
you know, firm up the edges a little bit once, uh, once the, the playoffs get going. Um, speaking of which, should we maybe get into our series predictions here, guys, and sort of look at the matchup? Again, it's not like a terribly compelling matchup considering the, the talent disparity here, just the overall resume of this season. But maybe we just go around the horn, sort of talk about some interesting matchups and maybe drop a prediction. Uh, Josh, let's, uh, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, probably have to go Raptors in five. And I think there's a couple different, you know, things that I'm looking at here is that the Nets, especially in crunch time, it's going to be the Levert show. Mm-hmm. And the Raptors are such a poor matchup in that sense is that they have so many different guys that they can throw at Levert, whether it's Lowry or Van Fleet, you kind of go with a, a smaller guard that might be able to get up in, into him and pressure him. Bigger guys that he's just going to struggle to get around because they have size and quickness and Pascal or OG, you know, uh, if, if it's RHJ, if he somehow gets on the floor during this, just if Nick Nurse wants to taunt the Nets, I think they're going to have a hard time scoring. Uh, and then when you look at the Raptors, the, the huge edge that they have is that they have some really nice stretch bigs, mm-hmm. whether it's Gasol, um, Ibaka, even Chris Boucher. And especially when Jarrett Allen's on the floor, he sometimes does struggle getting out uh, on the perimeter. And then if he is able to get out on the perimeter – the Nets perimeter defense is just so bad that the Raptors are going to have easy driving lanes and uncontested layups. Uh, so really the Raptors are probably the worst matchup for the Nets in the sense that they're so balanced. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be tough for the Nets team to overcome that talent deficit uh, and just lack of depth that they have. So, you know, I love the way that Jacques has the Nets playing, so I'll give them a game. But besides that, have to go Raptors in five. Marcus? Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing Raptors in five. And I think, Josh, what you said about uh, – like the game down the stretch and like it turning into the Karras show. I think that's a good point. And I think that the way that the Nets can win a game is if they kind of catch Toronto by surprise in the first half and like build up a lead and then are able to like hold off the the Raptors and keep it at like an eight to 12 point deficit in the fourth quarter. I think if it gets close down the stretch, Toronto can just like really clamp them down and, and shut everything down. Um, yeah. I mentioned the, the Kuruks Siaka matchup. I think that'll be interesting. Also, the backcourt, uh, the Nets are starting Karis LeVert and Garrett Temple. Uh, obviously, like, bigger players than, than Van Vliet and Lowry in terms of size, but really, like, not much of a, of a comparison, uh, even, like, in terms of defensive toughness. But what the, what the size does allow, allow them to do is kind of switch one through four mm-hmm. with those two guys, Joe Harris and Kuruks, all kind of being able to somewhat defend uh, everyone on the Raptors besides whoever they're playing at center at the time. So I think that'll be interesting to see maybe the Nets do more switching. They've played zone at times defensively. So Jacques Vaughn definitely likes to mix things up uh, on that side of the court. Maybe they can, they can slow the Raptors down, but in the end, definitely agree with Josh. Uh, I got Raptors in five. Yeah. I have Raptors in four. Maybe this is, you know, still latent championship arrogance, just kind of floating (laughs) through my veins right now. But I I just, so I look at this matchup and I think like the Raptors just kind of have trump cards everywhere. Right. I, I think the, the, the thing that you look at for the Nets to say, hey, they can take a game is just they shoot a bazillion threes. That's very much their identity. And when they do that, I mean, the high variance thing kicks in, right? I think they beat the Raptors in a game this year because they hit a million threes and the Raptors didn't hit any, if I recall. And yep. that ended the 15-game winning streak, if, if I'm remembering correctly. And so, yep. you know, they always have that potential as a team that sort of compensates for their lack of overall talent by just jacking a ton of threes and trying to win the math battle. And so that's certainly a possibility. I think... 
you know, it's going to be an interesting conundrum for the Raptors, right? Because they've kind of played this star-killing defense all season long where they'll send two guys to a star and just sort of funnel threes to the less apt shooters on the floor. And, you know, the Nets kind of always have shooters out there, right? You know, Joe Harris is incredible. You know, TLC has been really good as well. He's, what, 45% so far in the bubble. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's kind of hitting their share of threes right now on the Nets. And so I wonder if maybe the Raptors say, all right, maybe it's not worth sending all of our attention Karis LeVert's way, and we just put OG Ananobi on him, and then that is kind of it. Because OG is, you know, borderline all defense this season. He's amazing. He can guard guards. He can guard bigs. He can kind of do it all. And I wonder if they just say, all right, OG, you're going to not so much worry about offense in this series. We feel like we'll be able to score otherwise. And you just smother Karis LeVert for uh, whatever length the series is. And that kind of becomes their, their trump card. I mean, I think because you don't have, you know, terrifying offensive threats in like Garrett Temple and TLC kind of around the perimeter or Joe Harris even who, you know, maybe they're more so sort of suited to just kind of like shooting open threes. And, you know, Joe Harris can do some stuff off the bounce. I don't want to totally discredit what he's doing. He's averaging 28 games so far. And like you mentioned, he's shooting the lights out from everywhere. But I feel like you can say, all right, well, Kyle, you guard Joe Harris. Fred Van Vliet, you guard Garrett Temple. We throw OG uh, on Karis LeVert, and then we kind of are okay with that. And then the other end, I just don't really see where you can kind of cut off the Raptors from initiating their offense. Even if you throw LeVert and put his size onto a Kyle, then you just kind of give the ball to Fred, and he runs the offense, or vice versa if you throw LeVert on Van Vliet. And there's just kind of having two very good point guards on the floor creates a lot of matchup problems if you don't have a ton of excellent big wing defenders. And maybe Garrett Temple can hold his own. I just kind of think the Raptors have a little bit too much. And so I am going to say Raptors in four because uh, why not? Don't underestimate the heart of a champion. All that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> the stuff that uh, we love to tweet and we'll be tweeting and talking about until the Raptors are no longer champions. Which, uh, man, it's it's been nice getting used to the team being champions now for 14 months. I don't want that to go away. Uh, but it, it hey, you had an might. extra run. Yeah, it's uh, you know part of the uh, like the appeal of them maybe not playing the season was oh yeah the Raptors are champions for two straight <laughs> years and that is a pretty cool thing they still could be I don't think it's necessarily the most likely outcome but uh, the Nets will be an interesting first starting block on their way to potentially repeating their title Josh Marcus this was a lot of fun this was uh, it was nice to chat I'm sure we'll chat throughout the series as well we should just go around the horn and tell people where to find all of our stuff Josh let's start with you. For sure, for sure. Uh, well, most importantly, most important thing in my life, please go listen to Locked on Nets, and then you can follow uh, myself on Twitter at jmbass underscore and the podcast at Locked on Nets. Uh, Sean, it was a blast. Yeah. Marcus, you? Yeah, uh, same as Josh, and then also I'm at Marcus Barahal, B-A-R-A-H-A-L. Uh, thanks a lot, Sean. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast, Locked On Raptors, as well as Locked On Nets, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, we'll be talking throughout the series, I am sure. And, you know, Raptors fans may not like the Nets or Nets fans, but Josh and Marcus, you're the good ones. And so uh, just just soak up all of your Nets content from you guys, and uh, and everyone will be happy about that. That's going to do it. Please make sure you're also going to check out the other series crossover previews on the Lockdown NBA channel this week, too. And uh, big thanks as well to Built Bar for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, we will talk to you again soon on either Lockdown Raptors or Lockdown Nets, depending on which feed you're listening to. Have a good one, everybody.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.